Amen. All right. So we're in this series called A Charlie Brown Christmas. How many of you guys grew up watching the Charlie Brown Christmas special? You guys, like, okay, like everybody here has like seen this Charlie Brown Christmas special. And it's been kind of fun to, to, to kind of use it as like a launching place for, for our sermons. And, and, but before I get into the Charlie Brown side of it, I got to tell you, um, there's all these different symbols and signs all the way through Christmas. Have, have you noticed that? How um, during Christmas time, we have all these different decorations and things that we do. And, and, and so I was thinking about it, and I realized there's a lot of signs that we have um, around us all the time. And I thought, you know what, there's some really funny signs. And so I wanted to share some with you. So let's hit that first one. We, we, what do we have here? Yeah. Um, elementary school literacy night. <laughs> yeah, that's right. The teachers need to go. I don't know who's put that up. Yeah, what's the, that's the next one. Yeah, there we go. This is good. Good information. You got to know. You got to know that the um, sep- <laughs> not the same truck. Not the same truck. Yeah, good to know. Let's go to the next one. Yeah, so just, you know, kids exchange. Yeah, spacing is important, people. Spacing is important. Yeah, it's terrible. I don't know who. It's like, man, oops. All right, next one. <laughs> they messed up. It's a parking lot under police surveillance. Don't leave your valuables inside. Like, who can you trust, right? Who can you trust if you can't trust the police? I, I don't know what's going on in that town. All right, next. That was not Albuquerque, right? When you buy a plane. What were you guys thinking? You guys were thinking the wrong thing, weren't you? Yeah, okay, next one. There we go. The Adam and Eve, first people to not read the terms and conditions of the apple, right? Yeah, they, they just consumed without looking at the terms and conditions. And then the next one, I think, or was that it? I can't remember. Yeah, that was it. Okay, all right. So, we had some funny signs everywhere you go, right? So I, met a, I met the man who uh, invented that, that part of the map. You know the part that, at the bottom that explains what each symbol means on the bottom? That guy, man, he's such a legend. And... and <laughs> The last one, I promise. So bad. Floppy disks are like, are like Jesus. They died and then became the symbol of saving. Get it? Yeah. Oh, all right. Okay. Because you click on the floppy disk to say it. All right. We see symbols and signs all, like, all around. It was just so bad, right? So bad you wouldn't laugh. Yeah. We see symbols and signs all around us. Like everywhere that we go, we, we see signs and telling us where to go or symbols that, that mean things. Like we have, we have traffic signs. We have icons on maps or in your app. Or have you even noticed websites? They don't even have the words anymore. It's just these icons. Did you guys know the three lines means the menu now? Like, what happened to the word menu? Like, that, that, that was too much space, so they had to just put the three lines, right? And all the icons and, and symbols are, are now meaning something. But Christmas icons are everywhere right now. Trees, wreaths, candy canes, lights, inflatables, discounts, 50% off. You know, like, everywhere you go, there's, like, a sign talking about Christmas or a symbol that it symbolizes something. Like, like, why do we put lights on our house? I put one strand this year. I explained last week. But, but like, why do we have an inflatable in your house? Who has an, do you have an inflatables in your house? Who has inflatables? You got, you got inflatables? Yeah, you got inflatables at your house. Like, like, when did that start, right? Is that in the Bible? Is Jesus honored by inflatables? I don't even know. But I think it's a Okay, I'm nothing wrong with an inflatable, but these symbols and signs, and, and why do we have a tree, and what's with like the candles and the lights and, the, and all the different things? So I thought I would take a few minutes today and explain what a few of these things are, because all these things have these great, deep, historic meaning to them. 
and these different symbols, they actually all point back to Jesus. And they point back, and it's part of the Christmas story. And so I wanted to share a few things with you. And one of them is this is the candy cane. Like the candy cane, right? The candy cane became a Christmas thing. And it used to be just red and white, but now they have different colors, and they're neon colors and different flavors. And, and, and the peppermint was like not good enough, apparently. So we have all these different tropical candy canes. Have you seen that? That's what they do in Florida, maybe, or Hawaii. I'm not sure. But the candy cane, right? The candy cane, you know, the first time the candy cane came about was actually in about 1670. And, and, and there's a choir master in Germany. And he was directing kids' choirs, and, and, and in the church service, the kids had a hard time keeping quiet during the sermon. They wanted to chit and chatter, and, and they wanted to laugh and make jokes, and, and they were trying to keep the kids quiet, and they didn't know what to do, and, and they had been using disciplinary um, things to try to keep them quiet. You know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get you real good. You're going to be grounded forever. You're going to get spankings, you know, whatever it is. I'm taking away your Xbox if you can't keep quiet in church. And, and they were trying everything that they could, to, and, and all these disciplinary things, and the choir master had this great idea. He said, what if I gave gave them a piece of hard candy to suck on that would last them the entire sermon. And so they thought, well, all the candy they sell is too small because their sermons were long. So we had to make something a little bit bigger. And so they went and he, he actually had something custom made because he realized that in order to appease the parents and the pastor and everybody else in order to giving kids sugar at church, you know, because what, what an abomination. And, and so they, they decided to make this thing into something that was both educational and, and, and something that would um, keep their mouths busy so they couldn't talk. And so he got creative, gave him some candy to suck on, something that would take them the entire sermon to get through. So the shape is this, and so he, for the educational, this is what he did. The shape is a shepherd's staff, and it's how Jesus became the good shepherd, right? And it's like, oh yeah, Christmas time, and Jesus became the good shepherd. So the, the, the shape and the purpose of the shepherd's staff is significant. And so the design is actually meant to literally hook the sheep by the neck in order to lead them to better nourishment, or maybe to rescue them from impending danger, and so shepherds would speak to their sheep and they would talk to their sheep and they would take the staff and they would hook the sheep and they would hook them and pull them or they would use the straight end to help guide the sheep. The shepherd's staff was this really powerful tool, really, for the time. It was a multi-purpose Swiss army knife of, of Leatherman-style uh, sheep herding. It was all in one hand, all in one tool. And the shape and the purpose was it had all these different things that they could do. You know, for the nervous and the fearful sheep, the sight of the shepherd's staff brought great comfort. I think, I think that's why David wrote in, 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 uh, in the Bible, and he says, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Your rod and staff, they comfort me. I think, I think that's why he was writing about that is, that, is that God is like the great shepherd. He's a great shepherd. You know that, that God will gently guide you towards nourishment, and when you're drifting into the, a wrong area, he, he will help to steer you back in line so you, don't, so you avoid some danger and some pain. God uses this, this shepherd's staff to be able to guide his sheep. Do we allow God to guide our lives? I mean, do we really allow him to? It's interesting, the shepherds back in the day would talk to their sheep as well as guide them with the staff. And I don't know why they talked to the sheep, because the sheep couldn't understand them. But, you know, it's like you and I, we talk to our cats and our dogs, don't we? And they don't understand. But there's something about us that wants to talk to the animal. And the animal, we like to think, understands us at some level, right? They at least know your voice, right? 
And so now you can call for your dog or your cat, and, and, and the dog will come, and the cat will just look at you indignantly. But, you know, they're just like, oh, whatever. <laughs> you come to me. I don't go to you. <laughs> if you have a cat, you know. And so, but, you know, they, they know their, their master's voice. Do you know your master's voice? Do you know the voice of God? I got to tell you, something changes in life when you start to realize that I'm just going to rely on the voice of God to help guide me through life. You have God's word, you have a scripture, you base your life on that, but can you, can you read God's word, but can you also listen for God's voice? The sheep know their shepherd's voice. Do you know your shepherd's voice? Do you know the voice of the Lord when he speaks to you? I gotta tell you, if you just do what God is asking you to do and nothing else, life tends to go a little bit easier. It tends to go a little bit better. In fact, you find yourself now following the shepherd or following the shepherd's leading where he wants you to go. So the candy cane is a great reminder of that. But there's even more to it. The hard candy reminds us that Jesus is the rock. He is the rock that we anchor our lives to. We all anchor our lives to things. We all trust things in our life. But if you don't anchor your life to something that is hard, something that is immovable, something that is stable, when the waves come in life, when the storms come in life, just like that song we sang this morning, it is well with my soul when the, when the storms of life are coming. You can sing that, you can say that when your life is anchored to something that is immovable, when your life is anchored to the rock of who Jesus is. The hard candy reminds us that Jesus is our rock. The cane reminds us of the staff. The white color represents the purity and the holiness of who Jesus is. And the red color is that Jesus became real flesh and blood and spilled his blood to save his people. And the stripes remind us of the lashes received when he suffered for us and ultimately bore our sins that we might be healed. When you look at the candy cane, you start to realize though those tropical versions are just inferior. The red and white ones are the only way to go. But when you start to look at it, it's interesting. There's so many traditions that have come out of the candy cane. People hang the candy cane on their tree, right? They, have, they, they put them in the tree like ornaments from time to time. We tried to do that, but I just ate them all. I couldn't, I couldn't resist the sweet, hard candy. What about Christmas lights? Like when did that happen? When did that become a thing? Right? Like, why do we have Christmas lights? You know, Christmas trees were a thing that was already starting to happen. And they've been coming on for, for, for thousands of years. In fact, it was something that had started in another culture. But it now, the Christmas tree wholeheartedly represents Christmas. It represents Jesus. Nobody calls it any other kind of tree other than the Christmas tree. But there was a time thousands of years ago that it was actually used to celebrate other types of things. But we commandeered it. We took charge, and it's ours now. We own the Christmas tree. That's right. We own the Christmas tree. You know, I, I just think it's funny how sometimes you can look back in history, and you can see how, how Easter was once a different kind of holiday, but the Christians commandeered it and said, no, 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 we're going to make this about the resurrection of Jesus. The Christmas tree and some of the holidays that were in this season thousands of years ago meant something else entirely different. But the Christians said, no, we're going to redeem this, and, and we're going to use this to celebrate the birth of Christ. How ironic that you would know that, that Halloween was originally a church holiday, but somebody else commandeered it from us and took it the wrong direction. 
If you look at the roots, you can see that. And so it's interesting to see how the holidays that, that, that surround the calendar and all around, you, you start to realize that, that Christians have laid claim to, to some of these other holidays that were once something else. But why Christmas lights? The lights, I don't get it. But here you go. Regarding the birth of Jesus, the Gospel of John records that light has come into the world. Jesus himself said, I have come into the world as a light so that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness. Well, surely it is appropriate that our Christmas celebration be filled with light as we celebrate Jesus, the light of the world. And you would think that Christmas lights would be a modern thing because electricity wasn't invented until the late 1800s and it wasn't until the early 1900s that, that it was starting to even permeate across our country where people had electricity in their house. But how long have lights and trees been around? Actually, for like 500 years. They, they say that it was Martin Luther who started this. And it was Martin Luther who transformed the look of the Christmas tree forever. After a late night December walk through the German woods about 500 years ago, enthralled with the way that the starlight looked as it filtered through the branches of evergreen trees, he felt as if the hand of God had touched his soul. It's interesting how nature can move you that way, huh? Sometimes there's moments in nature where you just... You just know that God is, is there and, he's, and he touches you. He touched Martin Luther in that moment. Determined to duplicate the atmosphere of the outdoor scene inside of his own home, the minister attached candle holders to the tree limbs and, and wowed his family and friends with the first brightly lit tree. And you think your Christmas lights are a fire hazard. People were so impressed. They were enthralled. They loved it. They thought this is such a beautiful way to look at a Christmas tree that others started doing the same thing. Houses burned down over Christmas trees that were lit with candles. It was a, it was a challenge, but, and people knew that, that this was such a high-risk thing to do, but they kept doing it. It just kept growing and growing and growing. The Christmas lights of the candles on the tree, it's unbelievable. And the invention of electricity spurred the invention of electric Christmas lights. And in the beginning, they were expensive, in order to, to light your whole tree would have, would have been half a year's wages to be able to buy that many lights. On top of that, so many people didn't even have electricity in their home. I think Thomas Edison even said that it, it will not be something that can be sold until it is cheap enough that the masses can easily purchase Christmas lights this way. So once they became cheap enough, people started to put them on their trees and in their windows and on their houses. The traditional Christmas tree lighting of the White House lawn was started in 1923 by President Calvin Coolidge. It's a, a, a lit Christmas tree before then was considered a sign of wealth. In fact, the wealthy people in the early 1900s would find a way to get the electric Christmas lights. And it was like a sign of, of like a display of wealth. Maybe like buying a Lamborghini today. I don't know. But, you know, it's, it's like this sign of, of wealth that, that, that they would do. What's interesting is, is a few years ago, maybe about 10 years ago, in China, um, having a Christmas tree became a sign of wealth in China because the, the booming middle class in the Chinese culture, it was, it was this interesting um, thing I was reading this week when I was preparing for this message was, was how it became a sign of, of wealth in, in China just recently. It was like this, um, like a forward-thinking kind of thing. It was really fan fascinating. You see, Martin Luther taught his children that the candles that had burned on Christmas tree 
stood for the light that Jesus brought into the world. As time went by, a candle on a tree came to represent a prayer that needed to be answered or a loved one who had departed from this world. As electricity changed the way that trees were lit, the simple meaning of what Luther first observed in the starlit woods was obscured and replaced by an often blinding glow of millions of tiny bulbs that turns night into day. My neighbor is that guy. He, he is the typical Griswold Christmas decorator. I'm sure that you can see his house from space with your naked eye. He's that guy, that beaking, that beaming beacon of light, and me next to him with my one strand of, of Christmas lights on the front of the house looks pathetic, but, but, but my, it's for Jesus. It's for Jesus. But what about the Christmas tree? You know, it's funny. We, we, what about the Christmas tree, right? We all put these trees in our house, and we all hang lights on them and ornaments, and, and we, we put presents under them, and, and, and their Christmas trees are everywhere. You use Christmas tree stands all over the place. And, and, and have you noticed the price of trees just keep going up? I eventually just bought a fake tree because I, I was thought after a few years it'll actually pay for itself. And, and, and so I did not account for inflation of Christmas tree market because they've gone up significantly. But there is a famous Christmas tree, the Charlie Brown Christmas tree. The Charlie Brown Christmas tree is the famous Christmas tree. In fact, um, uh, when he goes to pick a, a Christmas tree, there is a, uh, in fact, let's just play the clip. I don't know, Linus. I just don't know. Well, I guess we better concentrate on finding a nice Christmas tree. I suggest we try those searchlights, Charlie Brown. This really brings Christmas clothes to a person. Fantastic. seem to fit the modern spirit. I don't care. We'll decorate it and it'll be just right for our play. Besides, I think it needs me. <laughs> the Charlie Brown Christmas tree. The scraggly little thing with the needles falling off. The funny part is when he hangs the ornament on the top of it, the whole thing just bends over to the ground. It can't even support the weight of one little ornament. And it got me thinking that there are things about Christmas trees that we could apply to our life today. And in fact, can you be a Christmas tree Christian is what I'm asking. Can you be a Christmas tree Christian? And think about this. When you look at a Christmas tree, it has to grow out of the ground. And so a Christmas tree is actually grounded. It's, it, it comes from something. It has something that it's anchored to. Are you anchored to something? Are, are, are you grounded in something? They have their roots growing in the ground, and, and they're standing firm until you go out there and cut it down. But if you think about it, in Colossians chapter 2, it says, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Rooted and built up. 
an established thing. In, in Ephesians chapter 3, it says this, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend what, with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Are we rooted and grounded in love? What are we grounded in? The Christmas tree is grounded. We should be grounded Christians. It's interesting. We, we, we started this series off with the idea of, of this, the TV show and then the debate that went on behind the scenes and, and how Schultz and the producers and the executives and everybody was going through and, and, and they had this debate of can they read scripture on TV because Linus reads the, the Christmas story right, straight from scripture on television, broadcast in the airwaves. They thought it's going to be a huge scandal. We can't really do this. And, 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 the, and Schultz, the writer, he says this, if we don't tell the world, who will? And so the question is this, if we're rooted and grounded in love, we have got to be the people that go and tell the world about Jesus. We have to have be rooted and grounded in love, a love for the lost. Because if we don't tell them, who will? We should be saturated with the love of God. It's interesting. I think if, if we focus on loving them, God will work on the sorting them out part. Sometimes we want to get caught up with the sorting them out part. But, but really the sorting them out part is God's job. And the loving them is our job. Right? And we should be the sign and the symbol to help point people back to Jesus. We're road signs that love people back into Jesus. And we let him do the sorting. That's above our pay grade, quite honestly. Love for the church we should have a love for one another. We should have a love for God's word. You know, the second thing that a Christmas tree has that I think we should have is a Christmas tree is evergreen. It's green all year round. It doesn't matter what kind of weather it is outside. It doesn't matter what the atmosphere is around the tree. The tree is always green. It's always full of life. It's always producing something it has a life in it and a sap that continues to flow through it to help produce a tree that has life. So regardless of your circumstances and your environment, are we evergreen? Are we full of life year-round? You see, Christmas trees stay green all the time. And God has given us life. He's given us a, a, an unending life, life through his son, Jesus. In 1 John chapter 5, it says this, And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life. And this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. Christian today, if you are in Christ, you have life. You have access to the life of who Jesus is. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, it says, A lively hope, lively hope, by the resurrection of Jesus... Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy, has caused us to be born again into a living hope through the resurrection of Christ Jesus from the dead. A living hope, a lively hope. Do you have a hope in your, in your life that is alive and living and thriving? In 1 Peter chapter 2, you yourselves are like living stones, Living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. We should have life year-round. We should be a living stone, a, a, a living, lively hope. 
You know, I've seen a few fake trees. I have a fake tree at my house. The lights are already built into it. It's really nice. It takes me like five minutes or less. I set the whole thing up, plug it in the wall, and bang. And the lights have options. You can make it all the multicolors or you can make it all white. It's got settings. It can flash different things. It's really high tech. It's, 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 pretty, it's pretty fancy, but it doesn't matter how fancy it is or how quick it is to set up. Or it, it's, it's not alive. It's, it's not real. It's, a, it's metal and plastic and maybe something toxic we'll find out in a few years, right? <laughs> but, but you don't know what's in that thing. But what's in that thing is it's not alive. It's dead. It's materials. It's man-made. It's something that, that, that man put together and, and it sits in my living room and, and it serves its purpose, but it's not alive. You can tell the difference between the real and the fake. See, real trees have sap on the inside. You know what the sap does for the tree? It helps carry the life through it. It's the lifeblood of the tree. It, it actually helps keep the insects out, and it also helps protect it against weather conditions. You know, we've got something on the inside, too. As a follower of Christ, you've got something on the inside. You've got a sap. You've got a lifeblood. You have something that is coursing through your veins that helps keep out the bad stuff and helps protect you against the storms of life. It brings life into who you are and everywhere that you go. We have the Holy Spirit, and he helps us fight off the bugs and the storms. The third thing about our Christmas trees is this, is that they're glowing. The Christmas lights on the tree bring light into the dark. My kids, every year when Christmas comes, they take a strand of lights, a long one, and they, and they hang it inside of their bedrooms. And, uh, and they hang, we, we, we hang it up real high. I put some hooks in there. So we go hook the lights up in their bedrooms, and, and they, they, turn, they plug them in. And, and at night, they sleep with the Christmas lights on. And it's kind of funny. Sometimes I'll come home a little bit later at night, and, and the glow coming out of the kids' windows of the multicolored Christmas lights shining out into the street. From the, from the street, you don't see any other light sometimes except for my one measly strand and their rooms that are glowing with Christmas lights and the light that is shining into the darkness. I don't know if I could sleep with that much Christmas light in my room, but the kids love it. I love to sit in my house sometimes during Christmas and turn all the lights off and just sit under the glow of the Christmas tree. It's kind of a nice, cozy, Christmassy thing to do. The Christmas lights, they're glowing. You know, as a Christian, you don't look quite right if your light isn't shining. You don't look quite right. When the tree is, the lights are out and the tree is turned off, it's kind of a weird dark shadow in the corner of my living room. But when the lights are on, it looks beautiful and amazing. As a Christian, your light should be shining everywhere that you're going. You should be glowing everywhere that you're going. The Christmas tree doesn't look right, and well, you don't quite look right without your light shining too. In Matthew chapter 5, it says this, You are the light of the world. This is Jesus talking to you. He says, You are the light of the world. You're a city that is set on a hill and cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but they put it on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. We should be lights that are shining into the darkness. The temptation... Of, of Christians, mine and probably yours, is to hang out 
with nothing but other Christians. And when we take our lights and we huddle them together, our lights shine into each other's light. But what about the darkness that is out there? As a Christian, you should be glowing everywhere that you're going, and you should be shining your light into the darkness. If, and what is the darkness if you don't have light? It's the contrast, right? You don't know peace until you've gone through a storm. You don't know light until you've gone through some dark. And if you take your light and you go into the darkness and you go find the people that you know that don't know, that don't know Jesus and don't know God, and you shine your light everywhere that you go, rooted and grounded in love as a sign and a symbol pointing back to Jesus. I've noticed this too about my lights. They're linked up. They're connected. There's a strand and, 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 and there's things that are connected. And, and have you ever found the light strand that only half of it works? And then you realize one of the bulbs isn't working, but you don't know which one. And so you're changing the bulbs and you're changing the bulbs and, and, you, and you're going through and you're trying to figure it out and you've changed them all and you don't know what's happening, but, but you just keep going and going. Eventually what happens, you get frustrated and you throw it away and be like, it was four bucks, I'm buying another one, right? And, and you, but you have to have the lights are connected together and you, they come together in a chain. Things are connected together. Your heart and your mouth are connected together. If you're having a hard time shining your light in the darkness, if you're having a hard time, you got to look at your inside and say, are all of my strands connected? Is there something that's out? Is there a bulb that needs to be changed? Matthew chapter 12 says, says that for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. So when your light is out, it causes darkness on the whole string. Sometimes you got to change out a bulb. There might be an attitude that needs to be adjusted. There might be some forgiveness that needs to be issued or some unforgiveness or some bitterness that you need to find and, and root out. If your light's having a hard time shining, maybe there's a bulb that just needs to be a twist or a jiggle or a, maybe a new bulb. And the fourth thing that my Christmas tree has that I think that every Christian should have is this, is there's gifts there's gifts under the tree. There's gifts under the tree. You see, God gave us the perfect gift, the most valuable gift. He gave us the gift of salvation. You know, I'm going to give my kids a couple of gifts this year, maybe one or two. I'm not sure. We'll find out. But I can't give them the gift that God gives. My gift is something that they're going to play with for a little while. And I bet in two or three months, it'll be relegated to the back corner of their closet they begged for it, but it'll sit back in that closet after a few months and not to be played with for a long time. Maybe not ever. Then we'll donate it somewhere because you know how, they, how kids are, right? And so the, but, but God gives a gift that isn't relegated to the back closet. He gives us a gift that, that is something that will stay in the forefront of your life. It's something that doesn't have a temporary enjoyment. It's a forever thing. It's an, it's an eternity is what his gift gives to you. There's not a, a time limit or, or a shelf life. The gift of salvation is an eternal gift that goes on and on and on. And in John chapter 3, 16, it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son. When you're showing the love of God, giving is something that would come naturally from you. In fact, when you are giving to others, you're acting a lot like God. 
the gift of salvation is a big one. Because you see, we were, we were separated by sin. We were imperfect. We were far from God. Yet, yet while we were still sinners, God has sent his son Jesus to pay the price and to make a way, to give us a hope and a future. Every one of us has, has sinned in our life. We have sin in us, and we've, we've seen that sin come out of us in different ways. We've all done stuff that separated us from God. This gift that, that God gave us, the gift of Jesus, is something that is an absolute game changer. It is, it is a life-changing gift of what he gives to us. You see, up until the point of Jesus, we were always trying to bridge the gap between where we were and where God was. And, and, and every time we would, we would sin, we would reset that gap, and, and we, would, we could never get close to God. We would try, but, but it was hard. It was, it, was, it, was, it was all this works. If I can do this and not do that. If I can, we've all done it. We've made the promise. God, I'll never do that again. But we did it, didn't we? I'm always gonna do this, but, but then we stopped. And, and we, we make it a workspace thing from where we are to try to get to where God is. You see, God so loved you that he sent his son. He didn't say, you have to build the bridge to get to where I'm at. God says, I'm gonna build the bridge to go to where you're at. I'm going to make a way that it's not what you did, it's what I did. It's not what, 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 what you can do to perform to get there. God built the bridge all on his own. And he said, he made this gift, and he said the gift of Jesus makes a way for us to be connected to him. He paid the price. He, he built the bridge. He made a way. He gave us a hope and a future. We give so many gifts to those people that we love. Jesus, God so loved us that he gave us Jesus. We love others, we give them gifts. But let's not forget, let's not forget that to tell people about Jesus, to be that light that shines. So my question to you today is this, is are you gonna be a Christmas tree Christian? Are you grounded? Are you evergreen? Are you glowing? Do you have gifts? Will you share the gift of Jesus to other people as you're going? Will you bow your heads? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we just thank you for the gift of Jesus. God, we just thank you for what you did on the cross and that Christmas is the celebration of your birth, is your gift to humanity. God, I pray that everywhere that we go this week, God, that we'd be grounded and evergreen we'd be glowing and we'd be giving the gift of Jesus to other people. You might be here this morning and maybe you've never given your life to Jesus. Today can be that day. Following Jesus is as simple as ABC. First, you A, you admit, you admit that, 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 you're, that you've sinned. You admit that you've fallen short, that you just admit that, that you need a savior. B, you, you believe. You believe that God is, that, God, that Jesus is God's son and you accept that gift of forgiveness from your sin. And C is you confess. Confess your faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord. Romans 10 says this, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So if today's your day, I wanna give you an opportunity to respond, an opportunity to, to, to pray the prayer of salvation. 
So here's what we're gonna do. Just as a church, we're all gonna pray this prayer and I want you to join in. I want you to join in and pray with us and can give your life to the Lord. And this is what it looks like, church. Will you just repeat after me? Dear Jesus, I admit that I'm a sinner. I believe that you are the Son of God. I confess you are Lord, that you died on the cross and rose from the grave and paid for my sins. Please show me how to live for you for the rest of my life. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Listen, if you prayed that prayer for the first time, don't let this be, this is a start, not a finish. This is a, this is a start on your journey, and I want to help you on that journey. You can text me, you can text Undecided, or you can come talk to me in the lobby afterwards. I'd love to get to know you. But church, will you stand with me? Let's sing one last song before we leave this morning. <laughs>